With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, spiritual, professional, and financial health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Each week, physician, speaker, author, and radio host, Dr. Diane M.D. and her guests will give you tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Diane Thompson, M.D. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. Well, hello, and welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane, M.D. This is a show that's designed to inform and inspire you to a healthier lifestyle. I am your host, Diane A. Thompson, M.D., and as always, it is my pleasure spending time with you with the goal that perhaps something you will hear on this broadcast may take your health and life to a higher level. I want to remind you that the show's call-in number is 626 414-3417. You may call in just to listen live or to be a part of the discussion. I would also like to remind you that the information on this broadcast is for educational purposes only. No part of this broadcast should be used for diagnosis or treatment. And as always, you really should consult your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. All right, so we've been experiencing a heat wave in the last few days here in New York. And I want to share with you a few tips that the New York uh, Department of Health has, uh, they've encouraged in order for us to stay cool and safe. So first of all, if you have an air conditioner, use it if you can. And if you don't have one, go to a building or go to the mall. Go to somewhere where there's some air conditioning. If that's not an option for you and you have to be home, um, use your fan. Open your window on the side that is cool and shady and close the shade on the side where it's sunny. Drink plenty of fluids. And by doing so, you want to avoid alcohol, caffeine, and sugary drinks. And try to cool down with cool showers or baths. Uh, Avoid strenuous activities during the hottest part of the day, usually between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. And stay out of the sun if you can. And if you can't, well, try to wear lightweight, light-colored clothing. And finally, and people do this every single year, even though we tell you not to do it, never, ever leave a child or a pet in a parked car not even for a few minutes, and certainly do the right thing by checking on your elderly uh, neighbor. So stay cool and and stay healthy during this heat wave. All right, we have a wonderful show for you today. Uh, Today we are going to be addressing your relationship health. And we actually have as my guest Dr. John Van Epp. He holds a Ph.D. in counseling psychology. He is the author of the book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. His experience includes um, 
being a pastor and an adjunct professor at both a university and a seminary where he taught marriage and family coursework. He has over 25 years of clinical experience, and he developed the relationship attachment model. We'll talk about that a little bit. And he has been featured in numerous magazines, radio, and TV programs. Dr. Van Epps, welcome to the program. Well, Diane, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, your book has such an interesting uh, title. When I started promoting the show, uh, several people actually contacted me and said, boy, I wish I'd read a book like this years ago. <laughs> and so I, I, I wonder what, what was it that uh, made you decide to explore this topic? Uh, well, I think we should begin with a good disclaimer that um, jerks have no gender. So, uh, McGraw-Hill didn't want to put it out there as how to avoid falling in love with a jerk or jerkette, but we all know that um, both males and females can be difficult to be within a relationship if they have certain uh, issues, we might say. So um, I, I think what got me started in this, uh, in my, it was twofold. In my private practice, I saw over and over clients that um, would get into a relationship would not really get to know, they would think that they really knew the person, but they wouldn't get to know kind of the right areas that clearly foreshadowed what that person would be like in a long-term relationship. Um, things that a lot of times their friends or family could see, but they just were blinded by love and they didn't see these areas. Or they built the relationship in such a skewed way. And you know, it's hard to talk about this, but sometimes we say things are healthy and unhealthy, and that seems so abstract. But honestly, they built relationships in a, in a way that I think increased their blindness to certain areas of a person or of an individual. So that was going on, and I saw these patterns over and over. And I found I would be talking the same stuff to different clients, you know, over and over. So then on the other hand, I was teaching um, advanced graduate classes in assessment, so how to sit down in a cubicle. These are future professional psychologists or counselors. How to sit down in a cubicle, you know, and evaluate what a person is like based on getting to know the right areas. And I, it struck me as I left classes one time and drove back to my office to do counseling, it struck me a lot of the things that I'm teaching these future professionals of what to get to know are the same things on a, a kind of like in layman's terms on the street, you need to get to know about somebody when you are actually building a relationship with them. If you want to figure out what they're like, get to know these areas. So I began to delve into all of the research on what predicts what a person will be like in relationships, particularly marriage and family. And um, I started putting it all together, and that became the basis of the book, what to get to know about somebody and how to build a relationship in a way that keeps your eyes wide open so that you can really see these things and think about them while still honoring the feelings of love and you know all the things that go into uh, the chemistry and so forth of the relationship. So that was really how it came together, was kind of the blend between the educational aspects that I felt were never really translated into the person on the street in a user-friendly way. Mm. And we're going to talk more about these areas that people should get to know. But before we do that, 
can you define for me what a jerk is? Because after all, we do have people who sometimes do stupid things in a relationship, but they're probably not jerks. But what what do you consider a jerk to be? <laughs> That's really where we begin in the book, too, because the the bulk of the book, um, and I should say the, the book came out of, you know, when I had the concept of the book, um, I wanted to road test it first. So it developed into a program that I was teaching people, and then people wanted to teach it as well, so it became like a train-the-trainer program. So for literally 10 years, I was teaching people and then teaching people to teach the course, and I developed thousands of instructors that were certified in this program and taught it before the book was ever written. So it, it really got road tested like that. And one of the things that we do in the very beginning of the course is um, when you're teaching a group of people is you ask them, uh, what's the difference between acting like a jerk and being a jerk? And that becomes, you might say, a revealer of the core characteristic of you know, what you might call a jerk or a jerkette. The core characteristic, if you think about it, acting like a jerk versus being the person that's acting like a jerk, it's kind of the exception to their true character. It's something that they do and then they feel badly about, so they apologize or they make amends. Or if it's a habit of theirs or a, a characteristic, they actually genuinely work to change it because it bothers the person that they love or that loves them. And so I would say a core characteristic of a person who's not you know, just acting like a jerk in the moment, but they're actually being a jerk, is that they have a persistent resistance to really addressing and changing problem areas in their life that hurt others in a, in a relationship. So, you know, maybe a person has a difficulty with anger or somebody else is um, always tending to uh, um, be un unthoughtful, you know, these are all characteristics which people do sometimes, but it's when it is put on the table and you don't really do anything about it that over time the person that you're in a relationship with begins to feel like, man, you're acting like you're being a jerk because I've told you this over and over and over and over and you've never really put any effort into doing something about it. So that's what we call uh, the core characteristic of a jerk. It's not so much the symptom of what they're doing as it is the underlying willingness to really change and work at something that bothers someone they love and that loves them. And and so I know you say jerk or jerkette, but is it more likely that it's male? I mean, I think we most of us think that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends who the yes is. It's most of you women or <laughs> most of you men. I, I don't, I'm not sure who the yes is, but I, I think I... I would kind of stand my ground in uh -huh. saying um, males and females tend to have, a, if you talk about the things that they uh, are, are prone to doing that get labeled as jerky behaviors, I think that they have different categories a lot of times. They're not always, in other words, if you added up all of the jerky behaviors that males do or that females do, they may be um, kind of the majority of these issues, maybe in different areas. But, um, no, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of, of women that can be, I mean, <laughs> controlling, and there's men that can be controlling, and there's women that can be bossy, and there's men that can be bossy. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's there's women that can 
be very spiteful or have uh, unthoughtfulness or can be really critical or always, you know, picking on somebody. And there's men that can be that way and on and on and on. So, no, I think it's a human that quality. Okay, yeah, I'm going right. to say it's a human quality that <laughs> all humans are flawed. We all have issues. None of us are perfect. Uh-huh. The key is when you're getting into a relationship with somebody, as you're learning what their issues are, you know, what kind of, of um, things that are maybe are a little bit uh, detrimental or problematic, when you learn what they are, um, are they willing to uh, address them and work on them? That becomes a really big key for all of us in relationships. So you, you sort of um, answered, I think, the next question I have for you because I now if someone's listening in and they recognize or maybe they recognize before that you know I'm I'm with a jerk, I wonder can, are jerks reformable? <laughs> can they be reformed <laughs> or is this it? <laughs> I think um, you know my my definition is that uh, even if they pretty much say you know oh man I want to change this, um, I go through some like signs or ingredients of true change and one of it is being motivated but another is um you know once they have some insight and they see it do they really do something about it and i would say there's um people can change but i've known a lot of people that are not motivated enough until uh they're on the on the edge of losing the person they're in a relationship with you know, as you're walking out the door, they're screaming, I'll change, I'll change, I'm motivated, I'm I'm going tomorrow to the library and reading a book. <laughs> and so, you know, and it had been a year and a half and they never did anything. So um, I think that uh, not everybody is like that. Some people are more thoughtful and conscientious. And so I, I think it's really important if there are issues that you see with a person that you understand where they have an openness to change. And I... My wife and I have been married for 34 years. and Wow, congrats. I, you don't see that anymore. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I'm happy to tell the viewers, we, we just had our first grandchild. So our oldest daughter yes. I had a congrats. child uh, about three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago. And so, But this is one thing that I would say about marriage. You know, A lot of people say, don't marry somebody to change them. But I got married to change. I knew hmm. that marriage would change me. You, you cannot commit your life to another person without having an openness to becoming something more than what you are right then and there at that time. And I wanted marriage to change me. I wanted to become a better man because of uniting my life to another. And so I I think that part of a true healthy relationship is a openness and receptivity to changing and uh, to growing in that relationship. And that, I think, becomes the stumbling block when two people get into a relationship and a person has a resistance to really trying to change or grow or, 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 you know, respond to something that you say, because people, you know, we have different needs. I mean, I look over the 34 years and raising kids and all that we have done. There is no way if I had not tried to be, and my wife had not tried to be toward me, a responsive to what is brought to the table and say, you know, it would help me out a lot if, you did this differently or you handled that differently. That's that's part of any good, healthy relationship. And when that's not there, then somebody starts uh, eventually being called a jerk because <laughs> yeah, that's missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you can I detect think those things. I that takes some maturity, though. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But you can detect these things, I think, in a dating relationship. I watch people a lot in my counseling practice. I counseled a lot of people that were dating and um, could almost very quickly pick out predictors of whether they had this kind of core characteristic of a responsiveness to their partner, a genuine willingness to kind of be uh, flexible in the relationship, and um, or whether they lacked that and they had a real kind of stubborn resistance to addressing things or an unconscientiousness. So, hmm. okay. Uh, if and you're I think the five us, areas to get. Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. I was just going to say uh, those five areas to get to know that I I mark out in the book and program. I think reveal a lot. You know, once you get to know those five areas, you can really in them see fairly clearly um, the person's uh, openness to, to working things through and making changes too. So I, I think it's, it's something that you, um, you learn about a person. It's not always detectable immediately. Okay, let me update our listeners, and then we'll talk about those five areas because I think they're very interesting, and I think a lot of the listeners want to know that. So if you're just joining us, um, welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. My guest today is Dr. John Van Epp, and we are talking about his book, his findings in his book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. So let's talk about those five areas. Okay. And, you know, in the book, they're kind of in a different order than in my program. I put them in an acronym in the program. So I'll give the acronym because it's easy to remember. It's the acronym FACES, you know, and it's the idea that not everybody just has one singular face. We have different faces. You know, we act one way around our friends, and then we go to work, we put kind of on a different persona or a different face. So F stands for their family background, what they have taken from their upbringing, and so that's one major area to get to know. A is, this is a long one, so this is a laundry list, Diane, I'm sorry. But that's it's, fine. Uh, the, the A is attitudes and actions of their conscience, and the conscience, I think, is a very, very strong predictor of what a person is like in a relationship, and I think you can get to know the maturity and how um, a person's conscience functions in intimate relationships while you're dating them and that's a, an extremely strong predictor and I think that there's some really very fascinating research behind all five of these areas but especially behind this one on the conscience so attitudes and actions of the conscience are the second area that you need to get to know about somebody so the family their conscience the C is your compatibility potential so how you're similar how you're different and how your differences actually work to make you better. Uh, I look at my relationship with my wife, and I am so thankful for some of the ways that she is really different than me. It has made my, you know, it's part of what attracted me from the very beginning, but really it's been some of the um, spice of my life to have some of these key areas that we're different. And I think she would say the exact same thing. We have some uh, very strong similarities, very similar values, but we have some personality differences that have just benefited us. And now that we have daughters that are 31 and 27, they will they will talk to us about you know the way that we see our mom and dad and their similarities and their differences have made us appreciate this and this and this that are different about you too. And so compatibility potential, um, I just have. Three little areas of get get to know about the compatibility 
between you two and personality values and your lifestyle are the three areas. So family, attitudes and actions of the conscience, compatibility potential. The E and the S are pretty easy. Examples of how they act in all their other relationships. I think it's people are creatures of habit. If you really want to get to know somebody, forget about how they treat you. Look at how they treat everybody else. So I talk about what you can learn and see from their other relationships and those scripts that they have in those relationships. And the S is skills, like their communication skills, their problem-solving skills, their conflict management or resolution skills. So that's the faces, and those are the five, uh, five of the ten core chapters of the book as well. Is there any one of these uh, that's more predictive uh, than the other? I think the conscience actually um, is kind of the culmination of all the others. If you think about it, Diana, so I'll ask you this question. If Because um, I don't know whether you are married or single, so it doesn't matter. But we'll just say if you had to choose between marrying a person that had a really had really great relationship skills but a poor conscience or a person that had a really great conscience but poor relationship skills which one would you marry I you would certainly had to be one or the, the other one with a better conscience <laughs> everybody says that so yeah. in everybody has this inherent understanding even if they've never sat down and really thought about what exactly the conscience is and what's involved but i've asked that question now for almost 20 years to uh, groups of people from small groups to thousands, everybody always says the conscience. So we all know that there is something about a person's character uh, that's uh, wrapped up in this conscience, even though we may not have a clear understanding of it or never took a class on how to figure out somebody's conscience. We all know that that's really, really critical. So it, it always bothered me that, here we were, you know, expecting people to uh, choose life partners without ever having any kind of training or class that reviewed all of the, you know, research and literature on this whole subject or gave practical definitions and how-tos of things like get to know their conscience because that's such a strong predictor. So I think of all of them, the conscience um, and, it, and the conscience is formed in many ways by a lot of family backgrounds. So, um, and you can see a person's conscience in their examples of how they treat everybody else. So the the E and the F of my faces, um, like I said, it kind of all comes together in understanding a person's conscience. Hmm. And and you you mentioned about the the family background. I've actually had a guest on who said the same thing that basically uh, the childhood experiences. Uh, can affect how this person is as a spouse or or as a parent. So if you do see that the person you're dating probably had a very dysfunctional um, family experience, I mean, what what do you do? I mean, he maybe seemed like a wonderful <laughs> person, but now you're concerned because you know dad was, uh, <laughs> you know, really dysfunctional family dynamics. What what do you do then? Do you say let's go to counseling before we do this, or how do you approach it? Uh, well, first let's let's make mom the dysfunctional person. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <Okay>. so <laughs> just to kind of piggyback on our previous discussion about males and females. Okay, <laughs> certainly Siggy Freud thought mom was oftentimes the, the culprit, mm-hmm. right? But anyway, I, that's a great that's a great question. Um, 
So uh, I, I say it. Uh, um, first of all, uh, for all of our listeners and and myself in, included, some of the best character uh, traits or convictions that a person has have been hammered out in some of the most painful experiences of the past. And so there are people that grew up in horrific families and, you know, it it seems almost mysterious that they are very resilient and very committed uh, people that are have um, determination and conviction and have mastered behaviors and attitudes totally contrary to the family they grew up in. It's like, where did you even get this? So um, with that in mind, it's more what you took out of your family. It's more of how you were shaped by that family than just the environment alone. So when you get to know somebody, be careful of jumping to a conclusion that if they had you know, some dysfunctional family then automatically they're dysfunctional uh it's you really have to look more closely at at how they were shaped by that and what they took out of it number two um i go back to change i go back to that core characteristic um there are things about the family i grew up in that i definitely wanted to repeat that i thought were just wonderful qualities of a family i came from a family of five and my mom and dad um, didn't divorce. They, I think they had deep love for each other. Uh, my mom died while I was um, in high school, so that was an untimely loss. But I, I also saw things in my family that I wanted to do differently in the marriage and family that I established. But I, I can remember consciously trying to do it differently. Um, there were things about my dad that I liked. There were things about my dad that I wanted to do differently. So... Um, you can love your parents and still want to do things a little differently than them. So I, I think if, you know, I go back to when my wife was dating me, she should have been able to pick up on things that I talked about about my family that I not only said I wanted to do differently, but she could see that I was working at it. I was, you know, I, I, was, I can remember... We were dating when I was 19, 20, and we, I, we got married when I was 21. So we dated for two years, and I, she saw me reading books on, you know, being a good husband and, you know, a father. I mean, she saw me do things way back in that early era of our relationship that indicated John didn't want to repeat this or do that. Um, so it's one thing to be able to talk. You know, sometimes we mistake an insight for change, and I think insight is a characteristic or an ingredient for change, but it's not the only one. And so we've got to be careful because we can kind of <laughs> see a really insightful person into their family background and think, oh, man, they'll never be like their family. Look how insightful they are. But um, they need to also be motivated and actually be moving, you know, into changes and working at those those areas that they want to do differently. Does that make sense? And- yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned, and this is um, not so much in, in these five characteristics that you just talked about, but you suggest that in relationships, that pacing your relationship will uh, sort of protect you in some ways from some of the things that you know people set themselves up to be with jerks. And you thought accelerated relationships are 
things that, you know, will will put you at risk. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can I can do it real fast. I um mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I think that um I developed a model uh that portrays what the bonds are in a relationship. In other words, a relationship is uh, a connection or a bond between you and another person. But I think it's not a singular bond. I think that there are several things that we refer to that are very abstract, but when you put them together, they are the bonds of a relationship. And so if if everybody could imagine the face of their stereo with little sliders going up and down, I'll say that there's five of them and they represent the five bonds of a relationship. How well you know somebody would be the first one on the left, how much you trust them, obviously you can know somebody a lot and trust them a little. So the, the no slider could be way up and the trust could be way down. These are very different, but they're very bonding. Intimacy is how much I talk and I reveal and I know somebody and they know me, and, but it's also how much I trust them and they trust me. These things are bonding. Uh, rely is the third slider, how much I depend on them and they depend on me. Commitment is my investment in the relationship, how much of a priority it is to me. The higher it is, the stronger the bond. Um, these are two-way streets as well. So in a relationship with my wife, I have a commitment to her and she has a commitment to me. I know her, she knows me. And the last one is touch from just you know affectionate touch to um, sexual touch. So uh, different relationships have different levels of touch and different meanings to the touch as well. But you add up the know, trust, rely, commit, and touch, and you really have the five major bonds in all relationships. I say in a new relationship, be careful of ever getting one area a lot higher or more developed than any of the previous. So be careful of trusting somebody, having that slider go all up real high, more than what you know them. That can be very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable to get emotionally involved, and your reliance goes way up before you have a full trust or knowledge of somebody. The same with commitment, and the same, I think, with, with uh, sexual touch in a romantic relationship. I think it's really dangerous in terms of skewing your judgment and your, and your thinking about somebody because the bond of your touching relationship, your sexual relationship, so is such more – how would I say this? So, so more developed, such, such a strong bond there that it begins to make you feel like you really know them when you don't. So um, I say in a healthy relationship, let what you know about somebody tell you how far you can trust them, which those two should tell you how much you can rely on them. And those three levels tell you how far to go in a commitment and touch. And I think that's a much safer way to build a relationship. It's a little different than what a lot of people do, but a lot of people get burned and they're not getting good results. So if they just kind of follow that model, it gives them five key areas to grow in in their relationship and um, helps them to really be able to get to know the right areas as well because it keeps their their eyes more uh, open. Mm. And in your training, do you cover this material? Yeah, actually, the five areas, the faces, are five chapters in the book, and the five uh, bonds of the of that relationship attachment model, we call it RAM for short, um, know, trust, rely, commit, and touch. We, there's a chapter. So those are the ten core chapters of the book, and those are the ten core areas of um, the program as well. The program in the book 
uh, cover similar materials. It's just, you know, if you go to a class and you're sitting with a group of people and you're going through a workbook and talking about things, it's more dynamic, and you, I think you get a lot out of it. But um, a lot of times when you read a book, you feel like you're alone in it and, and your thoughts, and, and it's, it's, it really kind of touches your soul as well. So I think both uh, the class, the live class, and the book have great benefits. But, um, yeah, those are the ten core areas. Okay, and uh, I usually like to leave our listeners with one important tip of the week, and I know they've gotten a lot from from the information you just shared, but if there was one key that you would uh, share with them to help build a healthy relationship, what would that one thing be? I really think it would be what we're ending on. Um, I, and I call this the 90-day probation period, Many times, somewhere uh, in the beginning of a relationship, many times, people don't act how they act after six months or a year. They, they, Isn't that there's the just truth? Things, <laughs> you know, you just and, – and no fault of theirs. I think they're putting their mm-hmm. best foot forward. I mean, would you really want to go out with somebody that doesn't put their best foot forward? Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but um, – and also getting to know somebody is literally getting to know the patterns – and a pattern, by definition, is something that repeats over time in a in a you know repeating fashion. So you've got to at least give it enough time for it to surface, and then you've got to give it enough time to have it repeat. For example, you know how somebody acts when they get mad at you. Well, you can't figure that out on the first date unless you have the intention of on the first date of getting them mad at you, like you know, which maybe some people have that. You know, I'm going to try to get them mad at me on the first date and see how they act. But you re- you've got to give it time for, for them, some situation to come up where they get ticked off at you. And then you see how they handle it. Well, that doesn't establish a pattern until it happens more than once. So I call it a 90-day probation period. The one tip I would give kind of at the end of the show is, listen – Practice a 90-day probation period. You know, how, no matter how far you go in those five areas of my relationship attachment model, you know, how well you go in your trust of the person or how much you depend on them or they depend on you or the level of commitment or touch, in the first 90 days, know that around the third month is when patterns just start to be revealed. Things are surfacing for the first time. They are repeating for the first time. As much as you feel like you really know them after six weeks or even eight weeks, that you are limited in how deeply you know somebody until you start seeing these patterns. That is absolutely great, great advice. And uh, this is um, Dr. John Van Eth, and we're talking about uh, his book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. Where can our listeners find information about your work and your book? Oh, that's wonderful. We have a website, Love Thinks, T-H-I. That's not Love Stinks, Diane. It's Love <laughs> Thinks. <laughs> I guess Love Stinks when you don't think much, you know. And that's it's right. Just, it's just pure, you know, I'm going on my own radar. That Some people are great at that, but uh, a lot of us, uh, you got to have the head and the heart working together. So uh, yeah. um, www.lovethinks.com. We have um, descriptions of all this that we've been talking about. We have done a lot of research on our own on our different programs. And um, 
they can really find a lot there, as well as we have an online store that they can purchase things. So uh, there's a, a lot that they can get from that, and um, they should be able to find the book uh, by now. I'm sure, on, you know, when you go into Amazon or someplace and you want to get a used book, I'm sure you'd be able to find used books uh, pretty inexpensively. But um, it's uh, published by McGraw Hill, and they should be able to find it in any leading bookstore as well. Great. And this should be a required reading for anyone who's out there dating. <laughs> Again, the book is called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, and the author is Dr. John Van Epp. Thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, thank you, Diane. It's been wonderful talking to you. And and congrats again on your new granddaughter. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yep. I'm All gonna right. hang up. Take care. I'm gonna hang up and run over there right now. <laughs> so. All right, take care. <laughs> All right, bye bye. Bye-bye. I also want to thank um, all the listeners for listening in this week. I really appreciate you being here. I know that you could be anywhere else, so I I really thank you for spending time with us, and I hope you've learned something uh, new from this uh, show this week. Um, I have a quote for you again this week, and uh, this one was sent to me by one of the listeners, and it says, Life isn't meant to be easy. It is meant to be lived. Sometimes happy, sometimes rough. But with every up and down, you learn lessons that make you strong. I hope you learned some lessons today about not dating a jerk (laughs) or not marrying one anyway. And again, thank you for joining us. And as always, remember that your health is your wealth. Please do at least one healthy thing this week to take good care of yourself. And I encourage you to go to my Facebook page, I have more information there on upcoming shows as well as uh, information on health-related material. And the the page is facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. So go there and like the page, and I'll have a lot of information for you. Again, have a fabulous, fabulous week. I will see you next week. Um, We will have a guest on that will talk about healthy skin, healthy and youthful skin, and we all want that. So I will see you on the broadcast next week. Take good care of yourself, everyone. You have been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. Please tune in every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Diane Thompson at 6.30 in the evening Eastern Time or 3.30 in the afternoon Pacific Time for the best in inspirational health information. If you have missed any part of this broadcast or would like to find out more about Dr. Diane MD, please go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com Dr. Diane A. Thompson. That's facebook.com Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Strive to be happy, healthy, and wise. Have a great evening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.